So wonderful to see you this morning and I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you need to use the Pew Bible, the number is listed there for you in your worship guide. Um, if you have a phone or electronic device, please feel free to uh, look up this passage there. As you're turning, um, I want to make mention of um, uh, something that's in your bulletin. We'll coming up in two weeks, it's a class called New at First. Now, a couple years ago, um, we put together a, a new member material and we've made some edits and shifts and everything. And here's the deal. If you are interested in our church, learning a little bit more about who we are, what we believe, we want to invite you to come. It does not mean that you are joining the church, but it is the first step towards membership. We've had a couple of uh, people who have come forward for membership that we're going to be uh, drawing them in. And it's just an opportunity to learn more about us and, and you know, what it means to be a church member here at First Baptist. Um, anyone's invited to attend, but the, the purpose here is to uh, kind of bring some orientation for potential members, for people that are interested uh, in, in our church to learn just a little bit more. So that's going to be on June the 3rd at 2 o'clock uh, in one of the Sunday school classes right out here. I can't remember which one's listed there in your bulletin, but uh, just right here through these doors that afternoon. So we'd like to invite you to come and be a part of that. Also tonight, let me encourage you to be here if you are a member. Tonight we have our church conference, um, our quarterly conference, but we have a special presentation um, from our ad hoc committee. We have an ad hoc committee that came out of the, um, what was it called? Strategic Planning Committee. Um, and this ad hoc team has been charged by church council with looking and evaluating some things with our facilities and moving forward in some other directions. So we'd like to invite you to come tonight to be here, to hear the report from the ad hoc committee and recommendation from them um, and, and be here and be a part of that. It's a, it's a pretty cool time here at First Baptist Church as we look forward into the future. If you have your place in the book of Ephesians, I do wanna invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together in reverence and honor of who God is and how he has revealed himself to us. Looking at verses 8, 9, and 10 in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is the one who also has ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Let's pray together. God, we come into your presence and we thank you for the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. The power of the blood that washes away our sins. The power of your name that draws us together for your purpose. And today, as we look at your word, we ask that we would stand in awe of all that Christ has done, that we would honor you, not just with what we say, but with how we think, how we feel, how we believe, and that you would transform us for your purposes and your good pleasure into viable witnesses of the gospel in a city and a community that needs you. Lord, use us and teach us today. And we ask this in the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. What do you think of when you think of, when you hear the word victory? 
what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Some people will start with sports, the sports arena. You will think of your favorite team winning a game, a championship. Maybe you're thinking of your own child playing t-ball or soccer or basketball and winning that game. Maybe you're thinking of something a little that has a little bit more personal value, a personal victory as you have set a resolution or a goal for yourself. Maybe you're thinking of a victory in, in church, a victory that we have as a church as we see people come to faith in Christ Jesus. That is always a victory for the kingdom. Maybe you hear the word victory and in your mind and in your heart, you start singing victory in Jesus, my savior forever. We start singing all these hymns and these songs about victory. Victory, no doubt, brings to mind some sort of of a conquest. Maybe you enjoy, uh, maybe you enjoy fiction novels or, 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 or movies where there is some sort of great battle that takes place and there's always one who claims victory. This morning we're going to be looking at what Paul describes as our victory in Christ Jesus, but it's not maybe the take that we would normally uh, assume with this. Usually when we talk about our victory in Christ, we are talking about the necessary forgiveness, the necessary, uh, the necessary sanctification, the ability to stand above sin because Christ Jesus has claimed this. But we're going to look at what Christ did and how that victory was one. Now, a couple of things that I want to share with you about this as we go on. In verses 8, 9, and 10 of Ephesians chapter 4, we're looking at a theological principle that arises out of verse 7 where it says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we're going to address the gifts and some of that equipping in verses 11 through 16 next week. But this morning we're going to take this because Paul addresses and, and, and introduces this idea of the gifts of Christ. But then he starts showing the authority of Christ as the giver because of the victory that Christ Jesus has won. And he shows us very importantly that Christ Jesus has claimed victory. Look with me if you will in verse 8 where it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to the people. Paul is drawing on Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. In Psalm 68, verse 18, there is a theocratic conquest that takes place. Now here's, here's that's a big word, I know, theocratic conquest. When you go and you're sitting and eating lunch, you can just start talking about theocratic conquest. On the, Israel was a theocracy. A theocracy is a system of government where God is on top, where God is the king, where God is in charge. Now, I know you're starting to think of King Saul and King David and King Solomon and King Hezekiah and King this guy and King that guy, King guys that you'll never be able to pronounce their name anyway. You're thinking of all those kings. You're like, well, I thought they were on top. They were on top as a figurehead under the authority of God. It was a theocracy. It was God's law, God's rule. It wasn't a man-made rule. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Israel kind of messed up the theocracy a little bit. They didn't really follow what God's rule and what God's law truly was. But it wasn't like what we have in a monarchy. In a monarchy, you have a king and the king is the supreme being and that king or that queen is the one that establishes the law of the land. It's not even a democracy that where we live, where we are ruled by the people, sort of, as we are a democracy. 
democratic republic where we have representatives that send, we send to Congress and Senate and to the, to the presidency to represent us as the people, sorta. But they make the rules and they make the laws according to them, according to what they believe. A theocracy is under the authority and the power of God. And we have the Old Testament law that gave the moral code, gave the legal code and gave the societal code for all that would take place in this theocracy. Now I'm giving you all of that background to let you know what Psalm 68 is about because that's where Paul takes and draws in Ephesians chapter four. Psalm chapter 68 is about a theocratic conquest where it says this is how God has claimed Zion to be the place where his people would worship him because God's the king but Paul doesn't just leave it at Zion Paul brings it into what Christ Jesus has done for you and for me and look at the words he uses as he quotes Psalm 68 he says this when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave the gifts to people. I want you to picture with me just a little bit of a kingdom. Man, we could even go Disney World and we could even go, uh, we could even go Brothers Grimm with some of this and some of, the, some of the, the old century drawings of castles. What you normally find in some of these depictions and drawings is not just this castle sitting right over here. A lot of times you have the castle sitting on an island where it's surrounded not just by a moat, but by water and it's a little bit high up on the mountain. There is an ascension that takes place as you go up to the castle, as you go up to where where the king reigns. And so you just have that, that, that handsome king on his noble steed just trotting through the streets in victory. And he's waving his, you know, kings and princes, they, they wave like this, right? If you don't believe me, go to Disney World. I've seen, I've seen them. Some of you watched the royal wedding yesterday. I'm sorry about that, but you did. And you saw them parade through the streets having, having had the wedding and they're waving. I don't know why people wave. Does anybody wave like that? When you see somebody at Walmart, you say, hey, how are you? No, you go, hey, how are you? What's up? Fist bump, you know, elbow, you know. I got, hey, it's flu season, here's the elbow. You know, whatever the case may be, you, you don't do, but you got this king. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're thinking of Robin Hood and, and, and King Richard coming back after the, after the battle, after his, 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 uh, his brother, Prince John, has been deposed by Robin Hood and his merry men. And he comes and he's, man, he's the king. But see, as he's going through the streets, notice it says there that he is giving gifts to people. This is something that is the spoil of battle. So that's one of the cool things about a military conquest when you dominate somebody else's kingdom, man, you just take all their stuff, right? What's the point in dominating if you don't get the spoil out of it, right? It's like you don't, you don't win the football game. You don't win the championship in football to leave without the trophy. You want to take the trophy with you. And so, so they would go and they would have this conquest and, and they would take the spoil. And as he would get back, you know, it wasn't just so that he could put it all in the king's treasury. Most of it did, but a lot went to the people and he's giving gifts. I always picture Aladdin at this point. I love Aladdin. Aladdin's one of my favorite Disney movies that was ever made. And in Aladdin, you've got Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababa, parading through the streets and he's throwing gold coins out everywhere. And people are like, oh, he's generous. He's so generous. That's the gifts that is pictured here in the military, but in the military conquest of Psalm chapter 68. But Paul says, no, but this is Christ. 
Christ Jesus has assumed this position of claiming the victory and he gives gifts because he is the victorious king. And it's not that Jesus just claimed victory. It's that he actually took victory. It said Jesus Christ actually was the one who won. You can claim victory in places where you didn't really win it, right? Sorry for all the Alabama fans in here, but y'all got a couple of national championships y'all didn't win that. Y'all say, hey, well, we, we were there, so we won it. You can claim whatever. I could claim right now that I won the flag football intramural championship in 2002 at Mercer University, but you know what? I didn't. We lost three out of the four games that we needed to win. We didn't win, but we could claim it. Yep, we won that. Yep, yep, we were there. We won it. See, we could claim something and it not be real. But see, what Paul shows is that Jesus Christ didn't just claim the victory. He, he won it. Look at what he goes on to say. He says that, what does it mean that he ascended except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Now, this is something important for us to capture about victory because it demonstrates the essence in which Jesus Christ is able to assert that he is the victor and is that his victory requires sacrifice. Victory requires sacrifice. Look at the words that Paul uses. How is it that Jesus ascended to the heights? How is it that he was able to parade through the streets? How is it that he was able to go up to the spiritual, uh, the, the, the spiritual nature of what it means to be a worshiper of God and claim the worshipers and give gifts to the people of God? How is it that he was able to do that if he didn't start somewhere else? I love the way that Paul describes it over in the book of Philippians chapter two. It says that, and flip over there if you, if you want to write it down or any moderate margin or whatever. He says this, that, Adapt, have this attitude that is that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, that is to be used for his own. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross." Translation there, Jesus was already seated at the throne, already seated in the highest of heavens, but he humbled himself and descended to the earth physically taking on our form in order that he might go to battle. That's a pretty big sacrifice in and of itself. Now, I don't know of anybody that would say, you know what, I'm going to spend some time in heaven and then leave. I don't know a whole lot of people that want to go on vacation and have to come home. You like to go on vacation and, and live in the, the glory of vacation, whether you're at the beach or you're in the mountains, wherever you are. Like, man, I love this place. I'm going to stay here forever. And then reality is, oh, I got to go back. Because you know what I know, that you can't live on vacation because you got to be able to pay for vacation. You can't pay for vacation unless you go back home and go to work, right? You descend a little bit from that high of vacation on back to regular life. See, Jesus was there in all of the presence of God. In the beginning, it was God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit together. 
They didn't need anything else, but they chose to make us and we messed it up. So Jesus took on the form of us by, and he emptied himself. He descended, but he doesn't just stop there in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Notice it says that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. That does not mean that he went to like South America or South Africa or below the equator, Antarctica. That, that's not what he's talking about. It, it doesn't mean that, that he went into, into some of the rough neighborhoods, though he did. What it means is that when Christ Jesus laid down his life, he didn't just go into a tomb, but he conquered hell. Jesus Christ himself, it says over in the book of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you want to write that down in your margin as well, 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this about Jesus. It says that for Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And so what he's demonstrating here, Peter, is that it wasn't just that Christ Jesus died, it was that he himself went into what we would consider to be hell or lower Sheol for the early Jews. It, what, it was a position that he took where in order to conquer death. He went into death for us. He descended into the depths of hell for us. It's easy to look at the passages of Christ on the cross and just see the sheer agony. And it would be enough, I believe, on the human level to be able to say the suffering, the rejection, the bleeding, the scourging, the, 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 the understanding that God turned his back. He's, Jesus cries out, Daddy, where are you? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? That in and of itself is excruciating enough to the soul and to the heart and to the mind for us to say that's enough. But I believe the Bible shows us that Christ Jesus didn't just die having been rejected by God, but he took on what the ultimate rejection of God would be and not just death in the body, but death into the depths of hell. A sacrifice. That, that's true sacrifice. We know something a little bit about sacrifice, right? We can look in every aspect of our lives, every arena of the world around us and find out whether there's a victory, there was a little bit of sacrifice. We can go military. We're able, to, we're able to express ourselves and we are able to uphold our rights as Americans because we had not just a declaration of independence and not just a, an, an amendment and a bill of rights, but because we had men and women who put on a soldier's uniform and fought for that freedom. That required some sacrifice. If you're a sports person, it didn't just happen that your favorite sports team showed up that Saturday or that Sunday or that Tuesday, whatever day it was, and happened to win a game that they just showed up for. No, there was a life of dedication to what they were doing. 
People that set weight loss goals, they have to sacrifice the good stuff they want to eat in order to have victory and make that goal. So people that have financial goals have to self-deprive themselves of certain luxuries of the world in order to pay off debt, in order to buy this, in order to have that. There is always sacrifice when there's victory. And when we come to Christ Jesus, we look at the victory that he has because he laid everything down for us. Oh, that Hebrews chapter 12 passage, man, how wonderful it is that he for the joy set before him endured the cross. Paul says he took on our form and he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Oh, the sacrifice of Christ the sacrifice of Christ, that he would give up the glorious riches of heaven, the glory of the presence of God, for what purpose? To fulfill the predetermined plan of God to adopt us as sons, that he would give up all of that in order that God could say, you are now my child by faith in the sacrifice that my son has made for you. Victory. Victory, this eternal victory required an eternal sacrifice, something that goes beyond time, that is without time, something that carries further than what you and I endure in this life. But here's the good thing. Victory reaps reward. That's why it's victory. If there was no reward, we wouldn't call it victory. We'd just call it, eh. If there wasn't a reward, it wouldn't be worth the conquest, right? If there was not some sort of accolade or some sort of achievement, if there wasn't some sort of reward, just going to throw this one out there for you. You're not going to show up for work tomorrow if you're not going to get the reward of a paycheck, right? Who wants to put up with the job? Who wants to put up with the boss? Who wants... My staff wants to put up with the boss. But who wants, to put, who wants to put up with all of that headache? Who wants to put up with the traffic? Who wants to put up with the time away from family? Who wants to put up with all of this? If there's not a reward at the end, right? If there's not, I mean, in that case, it's a little, little green reward, huh? That you have to go back and keep getting, right? it's like putting the carrot in front of the horse keeps it going there right you know you want to keep it going that's the carrot in front of the horse it's that green reward if there was no reward in military conquest of securing freedom of fending off invaders of of the purchase or or the, the conquest of new land there wouldn't be any type of battle to be had right Spiritually speaking, if there was not the reward of godliness and the assurance of who we are in Christ, there would not be any reason to go through the battle of temptation, the battle that God, that, that, that Satan places in our laps that God fights for us and Christ Jesus has already won, would there? It says there in verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all in the heavens. Now, I've had to think long and hard about this verse because there are a couple of things that that just strike me as genuinely odd about this. He says that this one descended, he made the sacrifice. 
But then he was granted also the ascension into the heavens. And I'm thinking, okay, what is the reward? Because on paper, what we see as the reward is that he is back where he started, right? He was already there. He was already in that place. It just seems so, so strange and so odd that he would go through all of that just to get back to where he started. And so then I started digging a little deeper and thinking a little bit more about, okay, what did this victory accomplish? What did it do? What, what does it bring us to? And then I started thinking, wait a second. The reward of all that Christ Jesus did was us. Is me. Now I know most of y'all are holier than I am, but I'm not all that much of a reward. I, I know me. I, I know, even though the, the Bible tells us that, that our heart will lie to us quicker than anything. And because I know that, I try not to believe my heart on a lot of things about myself because I know my thought process. I know what happens when I get disappointed. I know what happens when I get too hangry. I know what happens when I get too lonely. I know what happens when somebody speaks against me or my family. I know these things about me. And, and I'm the reward. I'm, I'm part of that reward. I want you to think just for a moment. I want you to think for just a moment about yourself. Who you are made in the image of God. That God would look at you and say, because you were in my image and because I made you to know me and to relate to me, because I know your ins and outs, I still set you before my son as the reward of what he is doing in this world. There is no adoption. There is no peace. There is no salvation if we are not the object of God's love where he would still send his son to die for us. God loves you that much. In love, verse one, chapter one says, he predestined us to adoption as sons. For the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy of fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God. That he would go into this world. That he would descend into the depths of hell. That he would lay his, himself down and lay down his own life as a sacrifice for us. But let me back you out just one second. Let me share with you what this true reward is. The reward is the pleasure of God the Father. Christ Jesus did all this because God loved us enough that he would send his son to be our propitiation, the only redeemer for us. But it was Christ Jesus went through to please the Father, to honor God. And that brings us to the point where we see the power of God, the authority of God, and the joy of God above all things. That Christ Jesus himself would go to the lengths that he did to please God. And what lengths, to what lengths will we go in order to please God? There was a reward set before him. And that was, as Jesus says, 
enter into my kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I believe personally that Jesus was the first one to hear those words. Spoken of the Father. He knew what was before him. He knew that the reward would be the unabated love of God forever. So how do we respond to all this? What do we do with this passage of descending and ascending? It's kind of like going up and down the escalator at the mall time and time again. I believe that our response is to stand in eternal victory. See, Paul shows us in this passage that victory is already won. And that because Christ Jesus has claimed the victory over death, the victory over hell, the victory over the power of Satan, he gifts us. But it grieves my heart to see too many people that call the name of Christ living in defeat. Too many men and women that say, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I know Jesus. Living powerlessly. Living as though this life is all there is. Leaving as though yesterday's disappointments dictate what happens today, tomorrow, and the next day. Living as though there is nothing beyond what is right in front of us. But the glory of God goes on for all eternity. The glory of God shines brighter than anything. And the accolades of today are just as damning as yesterday's disappointments. Because the accolades of today make us feel comfortable. And we think that we're there. And we think we've arrived when all that's before us is the glory of God. And so we must continue to strive in the victory that he has provided. Yeah, we've done some great things as followers of Christ in our lives. We've done some pretty pitiful things as followers of Christ in our lives. But for me, I'm glad that victory is eternal and doesn't rest on my accomplishment today. That it doesn't rest on my failure today. Because Christ Jesus stands there holding together all things for the purpose of showing us the power of God in redeeming us who he made stand in victory brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of your age regardless of your education regardless of your finances regardless of who your mama and daddy were or who your mommy and daddy weren't stand in the victory of your father your father God you have the ability to stand against sin you have the ability to push back the self you have the ability to to say I am going to cling tightly to the robe of my savior because he has already won he's already won the fight's over now Satan's going to still kind of come back and try to put to put a little knockout blow there every now and again but he's already defeated. The king has already ascended. The king has already divided the spoils. The king has already given the gifts. The king has already ushered in his new kingdom, his new era, his new day. And if you're in Christ, you are there. Stand in victory.